Namaste, everyone. Welcome to the Charvak Podcast. This is your host, Kushal Mehra. All right, today's podcast is titled Animating Ramayana. Well, I did not add the next line to it, but uh, I think uh, my guest today did suggest we should call it an epic journey, and it, it is an epic journey indeed. So for most of you who do not know what this is about today, we'll be giving a presentation to... But uh, before that, I would like to welcome my guest uh, who has come on the podcast for the first time, Karthik Mohan. Karthik, welcome. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Hi, thanks, Kushal. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, I'm Karthik and, uh, you know, glad to be here. All right. So, guys, uh, before uh, we start the presentation, just to give you guys a brief background. So, today's podcast is specifically about uh, a film, an animation film that had come out in the 90s, which was a Japanese-Indian collaboration uh, on the Ramayana. And this film or uh, this animation film, whatever we call it, was uh, made by Karthik's father. And uh, Karthik and I know each other now for a while. And Karthik told me, Yar, Kushal, this movie टू and then yeah. you know when the presentation is ready you let me know i'll put it up on the screen and uh, we'll we'll start the presentation sure yeah yeah uh, thanks 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 kushal so yeah i'm i'm not really here much to talk about myself i guess uh, i can say that i you know i have uh, advanced degrees in molecular biology and animation and i've just kind of a weird combination but i worked in each of those fields separately <clears throat> and now i've for the last 15 years i've been lucky enough to find a certain domain where uh, you know my expertise in both those fields comes in handy for me so um you know consider myself fortunate in that regard but uh, any case um you know my father was uh, ram mohan and um you know yeah he every animation film is made by a lot of people and you know has a lot of inputs and uh, you know of course yugo sako san is the one name most associated with uh, the anime version of the ramayana and deservingly so because he was the one who initiated the whole process and he was the one who really shepherded it through to the completion but you know i've seen a lot of uh, you know i've seen a renewed interest in this uh, film recently which is why i thought this would be a good time to do the podcast because they're re-releasing it and uh, you know um, they showed it all kinds of places and they showed it in the indian embassy in japan i think uh, prime minister modi had seen it there modi ji had seen it uh, or he had met the producers there and he had tweeted about it and it's been um, it was screened at various film festivals recently because they've remastered it in 4k 30 years later so 4k is like a high res digital cinema and uh, you know people including sham whose podcast i like very much you know he referred to it as the anime or the japanese ramayana I thought you know it'd be a good idea to talk about the Indian inputs that went into making this because um, you know I, I think that's a story that hasn't yet been told and it was a story that I had a ringside seat to, you know I mean I kind of grew up with this movie because I was in I guess sixth standard or something when they started making it and I was in college when they, they released it so wow. I saw pretty much every step of the way you know the Ramayana being produced. Oh, so, awesome, awesome. So 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 when you're ready, let me know. You can put the presentation okay. up, and then I'll hand it over to you. So sure, let's get I started. Can... Yeah, I'll yeah, put it up. up. I'll put the presentation up. So go for it. Okay. So um, my dad's name is Ram Mohan, and he is known as uh, I, I guess you know one of the uh, best known names in animation in India. Some people consider him the father of animation in India. Um, 
and um, you know he always felt that india always had a tradition of animation even though even you know a, a pre technological tradition because what animation is about is using images or objects to tell a story a visual story in real time right um and he said so for example we had these traditional art forms like the rajasthani pad right which is a big painting that they, you know they would paint on a textile and they would scroll it you know so they would it would go move across the audience's point of view there would be a bard singing with this uh, thing and uh, he would be singing the tales of the you know whatever the characters were you know on screen and uh, somebody else would hold like a camphor lamp and you would see these images almost sort of you know in the light of the lamp uh, flame which was kind of shimmering these characters would appear to move a little bit so in in a sense it was you know a visual story going across the audience's point of view so animation this is uh, this is called tholu bommalata this is from andhra pradesh these are leather puppets and of course this is ramayan and uh, they would make these puppets and they're very thin so they would shine a light behind them and uh, they would have a white screen in front of them so it looked very much like an animation happening when they would tell this and these of course are the kathputlis so we have a tradition of doing this in india you know that goes back many centuries and he definitely recognized that now in terms of what we in modern times what we call uh, animation and film um, i don't know uh, if many people realize this but animation started very soon after film itself started right so film itself the very first one that was made was 80 it was 1896 by the lumiere brothers it was just a film of a train coming into a station and just 6 years later a guy called george melier who was also french he created what's called what some people consider the first animation film which was like voyage to the moon there's this rocket that goes and hits the moon in the eye but you know i'm trying to say essentially it's got a very long uh, foundation as an art form it's not new okay so this is what we conventionally think of when uh, people say animation this is actually ramon this is my dad uh, in the 1980s and this is how most people who knew him would remember him you know he would be drawing all the time this thing is called a light table you know these are you know, so you take pieces of paper and uh, they have these holes in them that you know that there are pegs on the light table so they register one on top of the other properly and there's a light that shines from under it there's a bulb and <clears throat> you know uh the way it works is so you have to if you want to do a scene or a you know some motion you know you first do what are called the key frames which are the, the key positions so as a guy he walks up to a piece of chalk on the floor and then he starts drawing with the chalk on a board that's the scene well then you have to do the short breakdown so you take the key frames and you have to draw the in between poses and you can see here that this is an extremely i mean it's it's uh you know to do it right is extremely complex because this seems like a lot of work man oh heck yeah oh heck yeah i mean this is it's an unbelievable amount of work and therefore i mean i i would always say for people who want to go into animation you know talent is required but talent is just the beginning right i mean you need almost an obsessive level of self discipline to do this and, and my, patience yeah extreme patience and it's, and you have to be able to almost get this you know intuitively like see this is a fast move there is you know how many there are not that many in between drawings because he's going fairly quickly from here to there but then you know bending down is slow so you can see there are more drawings and then he's straightening up that's also slow and then you know like speeds up a bit and then his hand goes up and that's a, you know that's relatively slow so you are also you can't just you know it's not just your drawing you're keeping time in mind the passage of time what's fast what's slow you have to do that for every character on your screen and you know depending on the camera angle and so on so it's wild yeah it's it's you know you have to be an actor in a sense because you are you know there's the only emotion that anyone in the audience is going to relate to is what you put in your characters you know the only um 
you, you have to know anatomy. So for example, when a person is, you know, standing up from a sitting position, what's the first muscle group to move? Is it the butt? Is it the thighs? Is it the feet? Is it the torso? You know, you have to know those things and sort of feel them and convey them in your drawings. And, and of course, you know, you have to know emotion and be able to convey that. And all that while keeping the bigger story in mind. No? So like, you know, character development, everything. It's, it's not, I don't think many people can really do this well. I mean, uh, and it takes a lot of people to make an animation film, obviously, because it's so, it's not just labor intensive, but it is labor intensive for a very, very skilled and specialized kind of labor. Can I, can I ask a question here, if you don't mind? Sure, sure. So, so the paper that you need and the, the pencils or the pens that you need when you're drawing, um, mm -hmm. uh, are they a specific uh, qual quality? I mean, I'm just trying to be a nerd here, trying to understand, yeah, yeah. so please don't mind. No worries, no worries. So, yeah, I mean, paper, he would just use regular bond paper, it was called. Um, and, uh, you know, but as long as it's kind of thin enough that if you there's a bulb under this table and you switch it on, you can see, uh, you know, three, four, five papers stacked on top of each other. You can see the drawings beneath them, right? So you can see this drawing and this drawing, and then you put a third paper on it and you can draw these middle poses. Or you draw like, you know, the middle one of the of them. Then you take this one and this one and draw this one and so on, right? So it's like doing the in-betweens you need to be able to see. But it's extragular paper. But I can show you the next step that comes, which is that once the drawings are finalized, they trace them onto these things called cells, acetate cells, which are transparent, basically uh, a kind of polymer. And uh, once they put, the, they trace them on there with ink, they paint on the bottom of the cell. So you can see the outline. This is obviously not my dad. This is a, a Bugs Bunny. So uh, you paint them on the bottom of the cell. And... Uh, then you have basically just the character on a transparent sheet. And you do this for every single drawing. So just to give you an idea, for the Ramayan film, this was 120,000 cells. You know, 1,20,000 cells were totally made. <laughs> so then you paint under there, and then you have a painted background. So this guy is a dentist. Like, this is a dentist office. It's a mm -hmm. background plate. And then you shoot from on top. You know, the camera is on top, the animation stand. And you have to, you know, basically, you know, put one cell, there, expose it, then the next pose, you put the cell there, expose it, then the next pose, you put that. So that's how animation was done in the classical days. I mean, now a lot of it is digital, so you don't necessarily have to put it on cells. You can scan these drawings and color them digitally and so on. So that saves a bit of time, but it's still extremely laborious to do it well. <clears throat> so you can also, the same principle pe people do apply with the puppets, like this is Ardman's animation, Ardman um, group in the UK. And, uh, you know, you can, these are puppets who are amateurs in them and you can just move them a little bit at a time and, you know, take one, one frame and that becomes a video. But it's, again, really hard to do well because you have to anticipate how long your action is going to take, how it's going to come across. And, of course, there's CGI. Uh, this is a 3D model in virtual space that's rigged up to have, like, uh, you know, the limbs. And people think computer animation is simple. It's not. I mean, because, you know, your computer, it's not going to mathematically interpolate in-betweens for you, right? I mean, in-betweens, you have to think about what's going to be done. So I'll give you an example. If you you know have someone turning your head, right? Um, you don't just turn your head from straight, looking straight to looking to the side. Your head actually goes down a little bit and then comes up to the side. That's just because of the way your you know, cervical vertebra and the neck, muscles in your neck work. It goes down and then comes up a bit. And also in neurolinguistic programming, your eyes will go to the side that you're going to turn just a fraction of a second before your head actually turns. And those things, even though people don't realize them, but when they see some, an animation without those things, it will feel wrong, you know? Interesting. 
you know it's so, it's, so you need that level of attention to detail yeah absolutely you do you know it's uh, you you know you're communicating non verbally in a hundred different ways all the cues that people give and receive and that will make people buy in your character you know make people believe them and sympathize with them it's you know every step counts okay so this is uh, dada saheb phalke ji dada saheb phalke is considered the uh, father of uh, indian cinema and it's interesting that you know he was famously he made the first indian film ever it was called raja harish chandra in 1912 but not many people know this the money to raise that you know that raising the money to make that raja harish chandra was you know he went to the sets nearby in uh, dadar i guess and uh, in mumbai and he said like i want to make this and they said what is the cinema and all that because this was very early in the in the history of film so as a proof of concept you know what he did he planted a pea plant okay i mean so this is obviously not from his film but you know this is the the idea he planted a pea plant in a pot and he took one one shot of it every day you know so he got a film basically that was showing a pea plant growing so by the end of 2 3 weeks it was basically a pea plant growing out of a pot by itself it was a video and he showed it to the sets and they were blown away it was like they said okay yeah sure you know this is magical we will we'll definitely sponsor you know your money so in that sense dada saheb phalke the father of indian cinema may was able to make the first indian film live action film only because he first did an animation it's kind of an interesting story okay so this is the first batch of indian animators that were traditionally kind of trained in uh, traditional animation so this is a little bit about my dad so my dad was born in kerala even though we are actually from uh, karnataka we from uh, uh, dakshin kannada which is near the mangalore area but my my father's grandfather was an engineer for the railways at the in the kingdom of travancore um so he you know when he was a little child he lived in kerala and he was actually quite influenced by things like kathakali and so on you know as a performance art but anyway he um had studied physics and he had done his masters in physics and he came to mumbai to actually i think pursue his phd at tifr or something like that but kind of lost interest in it because he liked to draw more and uh, he um you know this would have been about 1956 you know he liked to draw and he used to draw for um, there was there was a petrol company called burma shell petroleum and he used to draw in their in-house magazines a cartoon strip called buddhu the petrol pump attendant you know and uh, he then he saw in the newspaper that this gentleman claire weeks from disney studios he had come to india under what was called a us aid program they used to send people like uh, under the i think it was the nehru government that time they would send people uh, to sort of you know to help experts domain experts for skill development in various fields so they sent him to films division which is um, it's still there i think it's called film bhavan in uh, on pedder road in in mumbai um and uh, they put out a thing in the paper which said like you know we're looking for artists to come and join you know so the first batch of indian animators was formed there i mean there's a lot of faces and names that i i'm sorry we don't have time to go into but of course i remember them all because i knew them since i was a kid but a few prominent ones i have here other than my dad this is bhim sen ji bhim sen khurana saab and this is uh, vg samant who later on made bhim sen ji is my mom's uh, family you remember right i told right, you right 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 ha ha So we yeah, have so, one thing in common both yeah. our families have the first batch of animation guys <laughs> of India That's true that's true very true Yeah and this is Vijay Samant sahab who who made uh, Hanuman he made a, another animation film which was actually quite successful in theaters but then there are many more faces that I I feel sorry if you're watching this <laughs> that I haven't mentioned you but you know you guys are all amazing 
Um, so this, you know, the first um, kind of animations that they made, they were mostly for, you know, um, training. Uh, they were mostly for public information. This was sort of an environmental film about wildlife. It was called The Banyan Deer, but it also was a story. It was a Jain story that, you know, talked about the you know nobility of wildlife in a sense. Mm-hmm. This one was called the metric system. It was teaching people like, you know, how to use, you know, what it was about because they were introducing the metric system just at this time. This one was called You Said It. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, this was called You Said It. It was about elections and voting. And in fact, um, my dad won his first national award for that. And if anyone's interested on YouTube, there's a channel called The Art of Ram Mohan, which, um, you know, sort of has a lot of his early stuff if you want to go and see it. So, you know, I can send you the link, Kushal, um, later if you want. <clears throat> then in about 1972, Ram Mohan went independent of Films Division, him and a few of his fellow team members. And they did like a whole lot of different kinds of work. You can see this is, so it, some of it was Bollywood films ke titles, like, you know, the title sequences. So this is Do or Do Panch with, you know, Amitabh. And uh, so he did this, he did, uh, I don't know which one, Khub Surat was there. And, uh, you know, I, I guess, which other ones? Uh, um, Pati Patni or Wo, Kamchor, a lot of these movies had animation titles. So he did those. That was his association with Bollywood. It's not very then this you recognize the Amul baby, the girl. Oh yeah, yeah. So this is still being used today. This is this is my this is Ramon's character design, um, <laughs> and you know it has outlived him. It's still very much being used on billboards all over Mumbai and in animation. Oh ad. yeah, you you enter Mumbai, you can't uh, miss the mm-hmm. Amul, right? Yeah. So that was there. This was an ad that used to come on TV quite a bit. You know, Gale me kharash, strepsils lijiye. It was a oh, lion. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> So that was also Ramon biographics. And uh, then you can see a few examples of how he was already trying to, he was already kind of experimenting by the 1970s or early 80s with incorporating Indian art styles. So this is one film he did called The White Elephant, which is based on Mughal miniature or, or Prajput miniatures, you know. Mm-hmm. And this was a film he did with uh, Satyajit Ray, you know, the great Indian filmmaker Satyajit Ray. It was called Shatranj Ke Khiladi. It was the only Hindi film which uh, Ray Saab had made. And it was, it's a brilliant movie. I recommend anyone see it because it's a great comment on English, uh, on, on British colonialism and how it worked and into what our aristocracy was like at the time. It's about the Nawab of Aud, you know, and, uh, you know, Amjad Khan Saab is in it and he does a fantastic role as the Nawab of Aud. But uh, the, it had some animation sequences that were sort of like political cartoons. And it, they were done in the style of these Bengali kind of, they were called company paintings from that time. And, um, you know, so that's kind of the first forays. And he also did one in the style of Kalamkari called Lao's Story. That, you know, he was experimenting with bringing Indian art forms into animation, even that mm-hmm. time. Right. So, but this is his true legacy. This is Ramon's true legacy is that basically his company was a gurukul and you know everybody that is anybody in the indian animation space today has either trained under him or worked for him or both and you can see, i mean this is only a few of them in this picture and it's like this is a who's who this is ajit rao uttam pal singh vinayak pendurkar uh, simi nala said swell merchant these two guys vaibhav kumaresh and chetan sharma they're like massive award-winning animators today you know uh, this is uh, Gayatri Rao, uh, Vivek Karandikar. This, I think, is uh, Sanjeev Vayarkar and Sri Rang Satay. And so, like, they, you know, owe their entire careers to him. They, they sort of, you know, studied under him. And you can say that he started, he founded the parampara. The primary parampara of Indian animation was founded, you know, in his gurukul. He's sort of the rishi that they all, 
they, you know, they adopted his style and his way of doing things. And of course, they made it their own over time. But, um, you know, that's kind of who he, who he was. But okay, so now a brief section about I'm going to contrast American animation and Japanese anime. And this is a little bit important when it comes to the story of the Ramayana and why things happen in the way they happen. <clears throat> so do bear with me for a bit. So when we think of American animation, obviously, we think of Disney. You know, that's the big mm-hmm. granddaddy of them all. But also, you know, uh, Warner Brothers, um, Looney Tunes, and, you know, Hanna-Barbera, who made Tom and Jerry. And we're especially talking about the, um, you know, the part, it, it, the what's called the golden age of classical animation in America, which was from, like, you know, 1930s to 1960s or so, where the kind of the rules of what is good animation were formulated mainly in Disney Studios. In Disney Studios... Not many people know, I guess. I mean, well, I guess people in the animation industry know. Walt Disney himself was not that great of an animator. Okay? Mm-hmm. He was a great storyteller and he was a great promoter, marketer. But the animation there, the actual, the actual geniuses who did that stuff and developed this were, you know, they were called the nine old men of animation. Like, they included names like Frank Thomas, Ollie Johnston, Ward Kimball, uh, Wolfgang Reitherman. And, you know, people outside the field don't know these people at all, but they invented sort of the rules of what we consider good animation, mm. right? And these rules include things like, you know, they used a lot in American animation. I mean, they used in every kind of animation because these guys invented it and a lot of people learned, different cultures learned animation or at least absorbed things from the American tradition. But you can see that the US uses it in a very maximalist way. So things like squash and stretch, you know, the whole face, like, you know, even rigid objects will expand or like contact, you know, they, they will exaggerate how much, you know, uh, a rigid object is able to deform its shape because, or even when a ball hits us, like a ball is bouncing, it hits the floor, it actually becomes flat, chepta, and then when it's taking off from the floor, it becomes elongated. And you can see that these are only going to be there one frame at a time and you're, you know, playing back 24 frames a second, but still the eye is fast enough to catch that, you know, and, you know, to understand and that sort of creates an impact on the human mind of you know how hard was the ball hitting the floor for example this is called anticipation like a person doesn't just start running you know first he turns back the other way and then you know kind of springs up like the it kind of winds up the tension in in the body like a spring and then starts running that way it's called anticipation this is really important it's called follow through so you can see this is a really fat dog and he's turning his head you know, and you can't do this with a computer. You can't just put this and this in a computer and expect it to look right. He first goes down, his head goes down like that. First, the eye goes that way. Then the head goes down like that. Then he looks up like that. As he's turning around, you know, because the cheeks are kind of fat and the ears are like that, they still hang back. See, he's, his head is gone, but they are still behind. Then when he stops turning, they go even forward of that position, ears and this, and then they settle. So this gives that sense of flexibility. And, you know, you see it in motion, you'll understand why, you know, this is following the laws of physics. Things have mass, they have weight, and, you know, when they move, they have momentum. And you can see that American animation used this, all these things, uh, the laws of physics and visual gags a lot. So this is a classic, like, Tom and Jerry one, like, he's carrying this whole dish, of, you know, stack of dishes that the mouse has kept adding one, one more thing on top. And, you know, it starts teetering like this. And, of course... Then finally, he was able to, you know, come to the wall. And then meanwhile, this whole thing will come around behind him and crash on the floor. So this is just a typical, you know, um, exaggerated motions, visual gags based on the laws of physics. These are, you know, major things in classical American animation. And you'll understand why I'm 
you know, going on about this when we talk about Japanese animation by contrast. And animation as soft power, you know, in as early as the uh, 1930s during World War II, you know, they were this animation studios were conscripted to make films about. So this is like you know a German soldier and an American GI, whatever. And uh, this is this is kind of at the most obvious level. It was used to make propaganda films, and it was so. And in fact, you can see the soft power of Disney was so amazing that. You know, German soldiers in the Wehrmacht, they used to paint Mickey Mouse on their tanks because they were big fans of Mickey Mouse. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, like, it's, it, because in, in, it, it sort of gets to you at this very basic level that even when you're a kid and, you know, it never goes away after that. So, uh, but, you know, the most, the ability to reach minds and particularly to shape young minds has enormous long-term impact. And one very important thing, one really, really important thing, Kushal, is that animation as a medium Okay, as compared to live action, it has some unique advantages because in live action, when people see a film at the sort of subliminal level, a subconscious level, okay, who the actors are, what they are wearing, what kind of place are they in, what is the landscape around them, what is the architecture around them, these are all making nonverbal points in the viewer. So, for example, you know, if you had an American or, you know, if, they, if, if it was France or America, like this scene, okay, this scene. If it was done in France, America, Spain, Greece, you know, Russia, any kind of European country, you know, of European heritage, it would be unique to that. And there would be signs and symbols that people would be seeing that were unique to that, you know. But when you do it in animation, it can be anywhere in Western Europe, right? These can be anywhere in Western Europe. So there's a way that, you know, animation can be as specific or as generalized or as, you know, uh, focused or as universalized as you like. So the messages in it can reach the maximum number of people, you know, like as long as the emotional content is getting through. It's like it's almost pure emotional content that is de de devoid of cultural context to the extent that you want to make it devoid of cultural context. And that's why it's such a powerful tool of communication. So, I mean, I'll give you an example, you, you know. When, you know, so many of Indian rishis, uh, gurus had gone, right, to the West. Uh, Vivekanandji had gone. Then, um, you know, of course, Paramans Yoganand had gone. Um, you know, uh, Maharishi Mahesh Yogi. Uh, and these days, of course, uh, Shri Shri Ravi Sankarji and... Uh, Srila Prabhupada is gone. Ah, he had also course, gone. They're all gone, right? And, you know, their message was received. But, okay, when they appear on a stage and when they speak... There is still something universally Indian about them, right? I mean, like people will recognize in their accent, but not just their accent. I mean, not just the accent, skin color, and clothing. Those are the obvious things. But even mm -hmm. in their gestures, you know, the way that their facial expressions that they make, the way that their hands, the hand moves, off, yeah, yep, the pose, just the way they 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 stand or the way they sit on, you know, all those things are a million different cues of communication that are going, and that there are, those things are all screaming Indian, 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 Indian. To people who know it, and that can be a good thing. Like some people are Indophiles, and they, re they really they relate to it more because you know it's there's something exotic, or they have a lot of respect for Indian culture, whatever it is. And so some people, it's a total wall off, right? They, they immediately feel, feel alienated by that because it's so unfamiliar. But animation has the capacity to ca convey the message in a very pure form, while jumping sort of a lot of those things, and you can tailor it because you everything on the screen is drawn by you, right? Mm -hmm. You tailor everything. You every movement that is made is made because you made it. So every bit of content here, it was made by a human hand. It doesn't exist in the real world. Yet, you know, the good animation achieves a suspension of disbelief. That's why we do things like these masks and all that. You know, 
the suspension of disbelief. So people put aside the blocks to accepting this as real and they relate to these characters as real and that's what makes it powerful. Mm. So this is uh, uh, again American animation um you can see that usually it conveyed black and white lessons moral lessons from a judeo christian perspective there was a clear delineation between the good and the evil characters and at the same time you know the reputation of wholesomeness and family entertainment for disney it became the fuel for a massive commercial empire and so disney you know obviously we all know what it is and you know when ronald reagan talked about the shining city on the hill people in their minds saw the logo of disney which i can't show here for obvious reasons but it's like a big castle with like you know shivering lights on it you know it it's sort of embedded in sort of the um you know of the the impression that america makes the world like a land of opportunity the magic kingdom this and that it's like almost inseparable and um uh, one side effect of this was something called the animation age ghetto which was a really big problem which is the idea that animation equals amusing cartoons for kids right koi hai na because most of the money in animation is made for children only na bachcho ke liye and so it's also sort of something funny ridiculous ye wo so this also becomes important to the story of the ramayana as you will see okay so now i'm just going to go to japanese you know animation where that started so uh, one second why is that okay so you in in japan you know there's a traditional narrative art form of the you know of the modern era so is uh, katsushika hokusai san um in um, in the edo period and him and others had sort of you know started this illustrative style and you can see there's a direct relationship between that and the first anime that comes out right this is called the white serpent it's an anime film uh the first anime film ever made in 1958 you know there's a certain realism in the proportions i mean there's a certain stylization of course but it's sort of not as crazy i mean it's not as exaggerated as a lot of the things we've been seeing from american art this is manga it's another big influence on anime this gentleman osamu tezuka was called the godfather of manga um this is his sort of his own autobiography told in manga uh, and manga is is actually it's comics and they're mostly black and white but they are long form so they they're usually a big quite a you know quite a thick book and they tell a whole story it's almost like a novel and one funny thing is that you start reading it actually from the last page you know it's in the order of the pages printed sort of in reverse so it's kind of funny but uh, you can see that what happened with manga is that it started to deal with very it was not just for children so you had these kind of you know kind of complicated sort of emotional relationship themes not like straightforward romance with a handsome prince but you know kind of triangles and weird stuff and uh, you know ideas of you know the the japanese as you know i've known them are you know fairly restrained folks i mean they're pretty stoic in in the way they behave but it's almost like manga becomes the outlet for their you know emotions like their you know kind of more out there emotions start coming out in manga and you can see that definitely it's not for kids you know <laughs> it's got some like there is manga for kids also but a lot lot of it is not and uh, you know the the same gentleman osamu tezuka brought manga from the um, comic era into anime as the animation as animation film medium with uh, astro boy this was his comic in 1952 and then he made it a tv series in 1963 and at this stage you can still see some influences of american animation in it even though they were making it their own but it's kind of interesting that you have a combination of this great traditionalism and this kind of fascination with technology you know astro boy is sort of a cyborg this is back in the 1950s they were thinking already about cyborgs and these sort of you know man machine things you can see the beginnings of iron man in astro boy 
<laughs> in some ways. I just wanted to, like, you know, since I talked about Hokusai, I wanted to kind of make a parallel, you know, a reference to a parallel evolution in India. So this is by a, a, an artist called Raja Ravi Varma. And, you know, he was the first one to bring sort of European sensibilities of Renaissance painting and all into, you know, developing Indian mythological themes. He was a fantastic artist. And his influence was so vast. It goes all the way from, so this is Jatayu Vada. He's like, you know, killing Jatayu, who's trying to rescue uh, Sita. She's being uh, kidnapped. And this is the same seed as represented in Amarchitra Katha. And you can see how similar it is. I mean, you know, the, the degree of influence. And even this thing, which is called Indian calendar art, you know, um, this very, you know, loud colors and the sort of prints that have become very classically famous in their own right. They're also influenced quite a bit by the color choices and, you know, compositions of uh, Ravi Varma. So both Indian and Japanese traditional narrative art, or at least kind of, you know, of the early modern era, you know, had very, has have very profound influences on Indian and Japanese, respectively, pop art. I don't know if the same thing is true of American art. I mean, maybe you can say that, you know, Norman Rockwell or Winslow Homer or, you know, John Singer Sargent had some amount of impact on you know, the way American animation developed, but not quite the same way as in India and in Japan. So there's a sort of more rootedness, I guess. So a few things the character, you know, to contrast American and Japanese animation, again, you can see the characters here. This is Sailor Moon. And uh, you can see that there are very specific things that are pretty typical of anime. Like the eyes are huge compared to the face and they have highlights in them. And that's because the you know Japanese sort of feel like the eyes are the, are the uh, windows to the soul. One thing the Japanese did not have and the Americans had was budgets. So they had to make do with fewer animators. And they had to be able to achieve the same kind of emotional impact, but with less labor because they just didn't have time. So, you know, for example, a lot of the scenes, you would just see the face would, you know, the mouth would be very small. It would be moving when the person talks and the eyes will be moving. And things like maybe the clothes or the hair will be moving, but not that much action. Like, you know, we saw, you know, the, all the laws of physics and the visual gags in American animation. You know, yeah. You see, yeah. Sort of just yeah, but that's just an American thing, right? Their attention for detail. They tend to be more like that in their movie yeah. making also. That's true. They have an attention for detail, but it's very dynamic detail. And I would say in, in Japanese animation, see, look how nicely this is done. You know, you can see the, the way the cloth is represented, you know, all these things. So it's almost like looking at a painting with a slight amount of motion. You know, it's almost like hypnotic and, you know, it's mesmerizing. Whereas in something like this, you can see these characters be dancing around and, you know, like laughing at each other and doing stuff. So this is like the line. So thing. you know what what it looks like to me is like the American one, the character and the environment are at war with each other, while in the Japanese they are merging with each other. They are at sync with each other. Interesting. Yeah, you you are sort of right in that you know this is done as a painting. You can absorb the whole thing in one. Whereas here things have to move to be interesting. You know. Mm. So like the that that's there. This is there. You're right. You know there is a sense of that. This is. Uh, this is a complete composition in itself, and it's just moving a slight bit, and people get it, right? Then another thing uh, is that uh, another uh, aspect of anime is that um, it's selective, right? So we were talking about most of the time the motion is minimal, right? Uh, so these two guys will be talking to each other. This is Akira. It's a classic, by the way. Everyone should see it by uh, Katsuhiro Otomo-san. And uh, it starts with these two guys who are at a video arcade and they're just having a conversation. Hardly anything will be moving. Only the, this guy's mouth will be moving a little bit. And maybe this guy will turn his head a bit, something like that, you know. But when they get into an action scene, my God, they get, in, they, they get dynamic. So there's this motorcycle chase in it. 
and you can see how dynamic these angles are. You know, when they get going, they spend. It's like American animation moves all the time, and it's done very well. I'm not trying to knock it, right? It's 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 brilliant, and they started the whole thing. But Japanese animation, when they get going, it's the, there's a big difference between the kind of the pitch or the volume or you know the the dynamism of the movie between these kinds of scenes and these kinds of scenes. So that's another thing, which you know kind of affects the mood of the viewer also. And um, then finally, um, American anim- I mean Japanese animation, as you said, uses hyper realistic backgrounds. So sometimes American animation may not represent clouds and trees and smoke and all that as in as much detail. But again, like you said, you know, it, it's it's harmonized with the environment, with the background. It's like a painting, you know. And uh, so you can just look at this and this thing flag flying in the wind for a little bit before anything else is shown to you. And you guess it just kind of brings you home and pulls you into this world that they're representing. And it uses sort of very dramatic, you know, um, it can use very dramatic sort of camera angles and zooms and pans when they when they want to create again an effect of you know this girl is running up on this tiny bridge all the way from the ocean up to the the building. This is again Spirited Away, uh, two thousand one. Hayao Miyazaki is a legend in uh, anime. Uh, his studio Ghibli. Everyone should see his movies. It, like the first um, anime film to win an Oscar was Spirited Away in two thousand two. So, and finally, the animation age ghetto that we talked about, you know, uh, we talked about how it, it's considered amusing cartoons for kids. We talked about how there's a very black and white morality, like, you know, this is Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, classic animation film by Disney, where, you know, she's an innocent princess and there's this wicked witch who comes with this poisoned apple and offers it to her. It's very clearly readable as who's right, who's wrong. And this is another, this is a princess in a Japanese animation film, which is Princess Mononoke. And you can see it's very, very different. You know, she's this princess that goes out into the wild and hunts things for herself. And this, she actually got a bloody mouth you know, from some wild thing which she ate. And she's got this huge kind of wolf creature, the spirit as a pet. So you can see that there's a lot more going on, I guess. Uh, you know, it seems like environmental preservation. Like, okay, first of all, death is almost never represented in American animation. I think the first American animation film to represent death was The Lion King. And that's because it was influenced by anime. Okay. Uh, before that, you would never, nobody would ever die in an American, in a, in a Disney movie. Um, you know, so th- things like that are, you know, death and um, environmental preservation, colonialism, war, exploitation, marital infidelity, all these things were dealt with in anime. So, I mean, one thing I know, Kushal, that you're a you're a big fan of American freedom of expression, and you're right; it is a country with a huge amount of freedom of expression. But one area where that doesn't always go is in areas of branding, and so, like you know, there's they they are extraordinarily protective of what you can say, especially in content that's supposed to be designed by designed for children. Like, oh no, that'll traumatize the children. Oh no, you can never say that. And I've got to say that in that respect, anime as opposed to uh, American animation took its conversations to a lot more places that American animation never did, mostly for commercial reasons, not because the animators didn't want to, but because the studios didn't want to. Mm. So finally, uh, this is about anime as soft power. You know, Joseph Nye, who was a uh, professor at Harvard Kennedy School of Government, uh, coined the term soft power. He, He was the one who originated it. And he actually cited manga and anime as examples of what he meant, right? Like he said, there was a huge so there's a huge anime subculture in America since the 1980s, but the themes of anime have penetrated into more mainstream American pop culture as well. Like this is called Gundam in 1979, 
you can see the influence of Gundam on Transformers and Iron Man. It's these huge mecha robots, right? The themes come and kind of come through into America. I'm not saying that Transformers would not have happened without this, but in the event, you know, this became popular first and sort of the way they represented is definitely familiar looking. Pokemon yeah, quite is quite clearly looking like Transformers. Yeah, yeah. It definitely, there was a huge influence of it. And Pokemon, even though not many people have heard of Gundam, but everybody knows Transformers, right? And then Pokemon is, of course, a gigantic cultural phenomenon on its own terms. And finally, the animation age ghetto, you know, shows like The Simpsons, like South Park, like Family Guy, like King of the Hill, like uh, Beavis and Butthead, all these other shows that were made for adults and kind of deal with, you know, sort of, uh, late adolescent and, you know, young adult and, in fact, even all adult themes were, you know, they they became popular only after, you know, sort of the anime subculture had been a f- proof of concept that, you know, it's animation is not just for kids. People will watch this content, even if it's animated, because, you know, uh, if it does the job of speaking to these themes well. So then uh, that's how we come to the Ramayana in animation. You know, wh- why Japanese anime was, an, was sort of the best medium in which to do this, right? And um, <clears throat> so the Ramayana, first Yugo Sakoji, he was um, born in 1928 in uh, Japan. He was raised in a, in a Zen monastery, actually. He was um, an orphan at the age of three, and he was raised in a Zen monastery in, I think, Geifu Prefecture in Japan. He majored in college in Buddhism studies, and he initially he became a monk, a Zen monk in the Hairinji Zen tradition. That's what he wanted to do in his life, you know. And um, Buddhism studies were actually Sakosan's initial contact with India, and which started him on the journey of becoming an Indophile, right? And then he decided that at some point that monasticism was not for him, and he started his own documentary filmmaking company. So he was not a mashur animator. Some people say mashur animator Tejabai. Actually, the Ramayana is his first animation film. He was a documentary filmmaker and quite well known in that field. Um, and uh, he was actually, uh, he had his own documentary filmmaking company called Tokyo Cinevision Limited. In March 1983, he came to India to film a documentary called, um, you know, the Ramayana Relics about an excavations that were being conducted near Ayodhya by, I mean, probably the, you know, uh, one of the one of our greatest historians and archaeologists, Dr. B. B. Lal, um, who was conducting. Interesting. Excavation. So B. B. Lal has also worked with him. Yes, yes. He came uh, to make a film about the excavations that B. B. Lalji was doing, right? So B. B. Lal was uh, was doing uh, excavations at Ayodhya, Bharadwaja Ashram, Shringaverapura, Nandi Gram, and Chitrakuta. Under he, he had a sites in he had a project in 1975 of, called the Archaeology of Ramayana Sites. And Sakosan, because he was sort of interested in, you know, delving into the roots of dharmic um, practices, being himself a Buddhist and sort of approaching documentary filmmaking from that angle, was interested, was intrigued by this. I mean, they all are quite intrigued by India, especially the ones who are like keen on Buddhism, because this is after all the land of, you know, where Buddha came from. So they come in search of their roots and, you know, Sakosan did that, but he was not only in search of, you know, Buddha's roots, he recognized that. Buddhism itself had roots in the deeper dharmic traditions here. So he was quite fascinated by all that. And he himself had already by that time become quite fascinated with Ramayana and read about, you know, 10 different translations of Valmiki Ramayana in Japanese. And he became convinced that he had to make a film about this. And it becomes sort of this driving, consuming mission for him. And, you know, he was convinced that live action would not do justice to the epic, to the story. 
this is quite interesting i don't know if uh, people who thought that you know people who thought the, the animation is for uh, is a cartoon or for kids would never have come up with an idea like this but because he comes from the place where anime is a tradition you know he might probably had this idea that because ram is god in fact it's best to depict him in animation rather than mm. by an actor you mm. know because that has as i said it has that universal appeal it's not you know specific you can't you know it's it's you can't pin it down to a human almost it's something beyond that it's yeah you, the advantage of animation in that sense is that you don't reduce the god to that human being it 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 mm-hmm. stays in the universal realm yes you, uh, that's the point right because god at a conceptual level is universal so when you reduce god like i think uh, you know bhagwan shri krishna ke case mein mithish mm-hmm. bhardwaj is now more krishna representation uh, representing krishna correct then in the other side or arun govil is more representative yeah, of yeah mm. yeah so he said it's better to have it in animation because then it becomes sort of you know anyone can relate to it you know not you're not thinking about the age of the actor or the weight of the actor or the face of the actor whatever you you know this is something much more so anyway uh, he had uh, you know uh, in 1983 he had come and met dr bibi lali was making a documentary called relics of ramayana or the ramayana relics uh, about his excavations and at that time vhp had heard about it and of course at that time vhp was the only group that did anything about you know uh, raising concerns regarding anyone else taking over the narrative because as you know at that time the narrative this was the indira gandhi regime the narrative in india was very much uh, in the hands of marxists and people who really didn't care what any you know somebody from outside came and said about our traditions and uh, you know the vishwa hindu parishad actually sent a letter of protest to the japanese embassy saying you know it was more a letter requesting explanation and clarification key what's going on here so he wrote a letter of defense to them you know uh, sakosan wrote it to the vhp and he actually had a meeting with uh, harmon lal ji in late 1983 and this was when sako san had breached the idea to uh, harmon lal ji to the vhp of making a film of the ramayana in animation and i must uh, one more gentleman i haven't got his picture here but his name was vijay nigam he was a friend of sako san in japan he was an indian uh, indian born but he had settled in japan he was a businessman and he had actually you know kind of introduced uh, sako san to the uh, the story of the ramayana i think initially so um you know sakosan says to harmon lal ji that i want to do an animation and and surprisingly enough the vhp that everyone considers to be so regressive and you know hide bound and whatever they saw the merits of the idea they approved of it the vhp was completely on board with making the ramayana as an animated epic i mean for some reason you still see wikipedia articles that say that the vhp had protested and stopped the filming and stopped the release and they were on board from the beginning you know even before ramon got involved vhp was on board so uh yugosako san then you know he wanted to do animation but he, he was he was really of a mind that we you know we should have indian input in the animation that indian talent should be part of the making of this because you know it's our story so um he asked uh, again i think it was the vhp who put him in touch with this gentleman called tarachand barjatia they used to make documentaries and you know tv serials and all that because i guess they were the only film people that they knew and then tarachand barjatia suraj barjatia ke pitaji hue kya i think so yes i think uh, that's who he would be uncle of pitaji so um tarachand barjatia ji then you know he, the only person that they had heard of in in animation in india was ramon so they connected him with ramon and that's how it began right and at first both of them you know wanted to be wanted it to be an indo japanese joint production my father had always as i said he was running a gurukul essentially you know for animation in india 
he wanted it to become world class and he knew that for that you need to have lots of people just because animation is labor intensive you know he and it's a big uh, it's a big investment to start a real animation industry like not only do you need money but you need to have sort of systems in place to train people you know and train people and hold them up to um, you know the best standards of quality as they go forward and this was the best way to do it he thought you know we'll have the japanese who are already experts in this and if we have them training indian artists and you can produce the film in india and you know with the japanese at a, at a level of director of uh, sort of directorship and oversight and sakosan didn't mind that because he was not an animator it was not you know it's not like you know uh, my studio's work is not going to get done in japan and it has to be done in india isa kuch nahi tha because he was a documentary filmmaker was perfectly okay with that so this was an opportunity where we could have nucleated the indo japanese uh, the indian animation industry on a big scale in the 1980s okay and for that there were never many notable indian team members who were brought in including you know sampuran singh overoy saab who was produ- producer he was eventually credited as production controller um he is the gentleman who made ejo hai zindagi that tv series you might remember it and, yeah uh, one of my favorite yeah so that was him uh, pandit narendra sharma ji was a um, sanskrit scholar and consultant rani de burra uh, famous children's filmmaker was uh, in script writing vanraj bhatia saab another well known name for music nachiket and jaya patwardhan they were art, um, you know they were experts in architecture so design consultants for set design architecture all that stuff prem motwani saab was the interpreter and also like um, you know worked a bit on um, overseeing things and pearl padamsi was the voice casting director and it was conceived as an indo japanese joint production but despite 2 plus years of effort this did not materialize so you know even though the vhp had been completely receptive to the idea of producing an animation feature the ministry of inb kept raising objection after objection how can you make a cartoon about ram people will get offended no it's not for children no you know and this was this went on for years like 2 3 years you know 1985 86 sako san ramuan sunil dat ji became involved you know because uh, overoy saab knew him he was also trying to help out they took great pains to try and explain to the inb ministry and various intermediaries all the things which i spoke about earlier that's why i was talking about them regarding the difference between japanese and western cartoon animation why animation does not necessarily mean cartoons it doesn't mean that you're making fun of something but they absolutely refused to listen and ultimately sakosan came to understand that unless he parted with money under the table there would be no indo japanese co-production hey shabash yeah he came to understand that i mean this was a repugnant idea to a man who was on a mission of dharma right i mean yeah he was like, he couldn't believe it honestly that you know the indian government would stand in the way of something like this but this was an in india where you know this was the time of bofors snamprogetti hdw submarine quattrochi evo mm. so it was the time when in order to in order to play you had to pay you know it was not you know it was coming out of socialism but it was not really capitalism yet it was you know um privileged access um you know market economy you might say so they sat on it and this said actually I, i just had a note it sort of parallels the another lost opportunity of the 1980s which is semiconductor fabrication um you know uh, 
the father of indian uh, of intel's pentium chip intel na it had a, the pentium chip at that at that time the man who designed it was an indian his name was vinod dham saab and there were entrepreneurs from both silicon valley and from indian institutions like iisc professor vasudev murthy dr vasudev murthy who wanted to start semiconductor fabrication units in india during the 1980s but they could not afford or did not want to do this you know i have to pay if i want to play thing and of course taiwan became the semiconductor the semiconductor fabrication capital of the world malaysia second you know singapore all these places far mm-hmm. ahead of us now and we could have been all of that by i mean imagine what we could have been in you know 40 years ago if we had started this basically we were socialist then yeah it was you can say indira gandhi's government was socialist this government that came after rajiv gandhi was kind of it was transitioning i mean i don't want to say that they did all bad things like you know maruti udyog they started it okay i mean give them credit where it's due hmm. but in order to do anything you know i mean i can say this from direct personal experience of, of, of having watched it first hand you know they wouldn't you know you couldn't just start something without license raja that's the best way to describe it mm-hmm. it was yeah, license, license raja raj is the direct uh, child of socialism and the mindset yeah, of socialism yeah it's the it's the kind of intermediate between socialism and the market economy i guess you could yeah. say So eventually Sakosan decided to make the film in Japan. You know, he decided he formed this company called Nippon Ramayana Films for the purpose. He raised the financing entirely in Japan and his production crew of 450 artists was based in Tokyo. And uh, Ramon used to go there several times a year. This is all of them. This is uh, Ramon Sakosan. This is uh, Koichi Sasaki-san who is uh, the director from the Japanese side. This is Mrs. Sako. Uh this is Kenji Yoshi. uh kenji yoshi san is the associate producer and he's still associated with the company that owns the rights now you see this kid there that's me so i can prove that i was there um <laughs> yeah so ramon used to go there several times a year as the director of the film from the indian side uh koichi sasaki san was the director from the japanese side the budget was 6.7 million us dollars which is actually quite substantial for the time and around 120,000 hand drawn cells were created for the film. And okay, Ramon's role was, you know, creating and refining the character designs as well as the storyboarding. I'm going to show you some of the pre-production artwork that he did. So like he had things like, you know, the Japanese did not know how a dhoti was tied, right? So they used to draw it like pajamas. So we actually had to go there and show, you know, how the gestures are there. Like how how do people fall at the feet of somebody? Pair chune oh. ke liye. Oh, oh got it so they must be drawing the wrong pleats too right because yeah, dhoti ke pleats aur pajama ke pleats wrong aate gala alag aate hain correct correct so he had to kind of show them how all this was done and you can see a lot of the characters in the final film look just like he drew them this is his original concept sketch this is ramon sketches of ravan and you can see how much it was also influenced by kathakali you know which i said he had grown up in kerala you know the kind of the facial expression and all those things uh this is his character studies for sita you know various expressions uh and that's ram so this is a scene where he sort of imagined you know how ram and sita would be interacting ram is pushing sita on a jhula you know seen anything made it into the film then this is you know how sita would react when ravan comes to kidnap her you know then uh you know in the in the one in lanka and then uh Hanuman jumps over a wall and uh, surprises her and brings her this. And uh, these are the final characters that were used in the film. You can see how much they are based on sort of uh, Ramon's drawings, you know, to a very large extent. 
there's Ravan or these who are used in the final movie. Um, this is a storyboard sequence. So like a lot of the time when you plan animation, you do a storyboard. So you know kind of, you know, you can break down the shots and like how much time you need to animate each scene. So um, this is the whole storyboard sequence of the Janani uh, um, Ramadut Hanuman song, where, you know, kind of frame by frame, sort of my dad's drawn out um, what would be shown. So this is the whole pre-production storyboard sequence of that. And, uh, you know, I'll just leave it up for a second in case anyone wants to go back and pause it and look at it. But anyway, um, this is the design work by Nachiket Patwadanji that I mentioned. All the different, uh, you know, um, sets, set designs, the way that palaces look, the way that temples look, you know, rock temples carved into the sides of things. They did a lot of research. I mean, this this gentleman is, you know, a scholar of Indian architecture. and You know, he was part of this whole team. And then, of course, it was released. Um, again, people, there's a lot of masala being said that the Ram Janmabhumi thing had a lot, had a factor in dampening the release. And I guess it was sort of true, but it was not like there was any drama around it here because, you know, that was not a huge, I mean, in Mumbai, as you know, you know, there was a riot and all that in January in 1993, but, um, that was more to do with sort of local troubles that had happened. You know, it wasn't strictly speaking related to the, you know, the Ram Janmabhumi issue. And uh, the pr the problem once again was actually poor distribution. You know, for some reason, Sako San didn't get how the Indian business, um, you know, Indian film business worked. And my dad, Ramo, and you know, he had no kind of head for business. I mean, he just he was not. You know, people say that people are humble, and you know, for me, the mean the word humble means that <clears throat> someone who is consciously, you know, thinking about I have to control my arm. But Ramohan was kind of just naturally like that. He, it never struck him that he was anything special. And it never struck him that I should do anything to market or promote myself. It just, that was not part of his lived experience, you know. So he was not, you know, able to really, I mean, uh, go and sort of talk up the film and do all the things that, you know, Bollywood, on the other hand, is completely based on going and, you know, promoting stuff and um, giving a lot of big talk. I mean, you you know, you had a great broadcast with uh, Vivek Agnihotriji about this and so I won't go into that again, but you know, he was my my dad was definitely not a creature of Bollywood, and definitely Sako San was not either. So they gave the uh, distribution initially in '93 to a local distributor, I forget the name, who released it in a few Indian uh, cities and cinema halls. But he did not spend any effort or money to promote or market it properly. And there's reasons why pro distributors will sometimes do this. It's because, you know, they have to show a loss, right? So they have to show that some of their movies did not do well you know, um, for tax reasons. And on the other hand, you know, the ones that, again, it's pay to play, like the ones who are their friends and all that, you know, the producer is their friend, like, you know, Are I know this producer and he's he's going to treat me really nicely if I make sure his film is promoted a lot. So they'll put all their effort and their marketing budget towards that guy's movies. And if someone's not, you know, uh, coming to them with sort of the little bit of extra makan on the side, they won't necessarily care about it. So, you know, it was just an anticlimax of sheer incompetence. It didn't, it didn't run for very long in theaters in uh, Indian cities. But what happened then was that Cartoon Network acquired the television rights. Cartoon Network India. And they started showing it every Dasera Diwali season. Every season. You know, year after year after year. And this was how it became well-known and almost universally recognized by an entire generation of kids growing up in India during the 1990s and 2000s as a holiday season favorite. 
now everybody's seen you know nobody saw it in the theaters but everybody's seen it on tv and uh, then in in the us uh, a gentleman named krishna shah had released it um, you know it was in an edited version called the prince of light prince of light yeah and interesting bit of trivia here the voice of rama was provided by brian cranston who is much later he was became famous for uh, playing walter white in breaking bad yeah is i was just about to say is it he the breaking bad guy <laughs> yeah he was he was the voice of ram if you can believe it. yeah when he was still good so uh, anyway um krishna shah has an interesting story again goes back to the animation age ghettos thing in america and how you know studios are very protective about freedom of speech and ideas when they released this in america local studios were going to uh, krishna shah and saying look it's too long it was quite long it's too long and it's too complicated you know why does ram have to be sent into exile you know why don't you just make it that ram and sita went to panchavati on a honeymoon local studios in america wanted him to change the story that ram and sita went to panchavati on their honeymoon ah oh. can you believe it Yeah, they they were like you know this is like why uh, yoga nidra can't be called yoga nidra. It has to be called lucid dreaming. Exactly, it's infantilizing, isn't it? It's like yeah. taking the whole the moral complexity of yeah, it. They, yeah, and they it. don't need to, you know this is where nahi dekhna mat dekho, dukhi na karo yar. Exactly, exactly. But he stuck to his guns and he made it, and you know he kept the story obviously. So that's it, man. You know, lost opportunities. animation is a line of work that not only needs only talent but immense dedication and discipline it's very labor intensive uses large groups of skilled professionals working together to start an animation industry requires not just a financial investment in infrastructure but an investment in intensive training and skill development this could have happened in the 80s if ramayana be produced in india instead the indian animation industry like many other industries lag behind while competitors in south korea malaysia the philippines and so many other countries they forged ahead you know doing animation but more was lost than that i would say because today's indian animation industry we they, it does produce some original content but a large proportion of it relies on outsourced work from american canadian and european film and tv studios and ramayan was an opportunity to seed a homegrown animation in- industry in india which tells indian stories on indian terms and to cultivate an audience for these stories not just in india but globally consider again the soft power of anime for japan and we could have had our own equally formidable industry of cultural soft power by now anyway so tm corporation the owners in Jap- uh, rights owners in japan um, they have re-released it um, they have remastered it in 4k for worldwide release it was screened in february 2022 on the occasion of the 70th anniversary of the establishment of indo japan uh, of indo japan diplomatic relations in may 22 um, PM Modi ji had met uh, Atsushi Matsuo-san and uh, Kenji Yoshi-san. This is a picture of Kenji Yoshi-san in the 80s, and this is him now. Uh, so it's really been a long time um, in Tokyo, and uh, spoke about the film on Monkey Bath. It has since been since been screened at several uh, festivals, including Mumbai International Film Festival, Sitges Animation Film Festival in Spain, in Barcelona, and just this past weekend. at the animation is film in animation is film festival it's a pretty um prestigious film festival in hollywood and just on sunday night actually it was screened there this last sunday oh wow and yeah so uh matsuo san uh, atsushi matsuo san he's been very particular about staying true to yugo sako san's vision he doesn't he didn't edit the film at all the entire 135 minute original length is there all the subtleties are there um and matsuo san has said that 
TM Corporation aims to set up a Ramayana fund from the earnings of the film, okay, to contribute to cultural exchange, human endeavor, and world peace at a time when the international community is going through such economic and political turmoil. So think about it. At a time when you know uh, the usual suspects in the media have made Jai Sri Ram into a, a what a war cry, you know, mm-hmm. the cultural soft power, the actual what the Ramayana actually represents. you know it's being again led by the japanese you know it should have been us but it's not again it's being led by the japanese who own the rights to this ramohan um his legacy lives on in an immense body of work spanning over six decades uh, one of his you know biggest achievements after the ramayana was um, this film the series of films called meena and it's about um, you know it was about issues faced by the girl child it was you know so in in rural um indian subcontinent so across the subcontinent and again here i want to mention how animation can make things not specific like if you had tried to make this in real life you know then depending on whether the whether the village and the people were in punjab or bengal or uh, tamil nadu or nepal or wherever it would have looked specific the kind of you know landscape around them countryside would look specific the kind of houses they lived in would have looked specific the costumes they were wearing the features on the face all would have looked very very particular to a part of a certain part of the indian subcontinent but by doing this in animation they were able to universalize it they could make it so that obviously it's from somewhere in the region right but mm-hmm. they were able to universalize it enough that anybody from the indian subcontinent can relate to these kids right and that's why again the power of animation you can tailor very specifically the sort of the cultural weight of something while keeping the message the emotional content and the practical content going directly to the viewer at the level of emotional engagement so he made these movies for uh, you know they were used uh, in uh, by unicef and uh, they were usually about things like you know you should also give the girl child uh, in many villages they would not you know if there was less food they would only give it to the boy or they would not spend uh, on sending the girl to school or things like that those kinds of things and also more general issues like you know if there was dysentery among children you should give sort of uh, water with salt and sugar dissolved in it this this little practical things that would really help people and uh, it was used very extensively in bangladesh they actually did the best job of it um, bangladesh sri lanka nepal but uh, and to quite some extent in india pakistan for some reason they said that the girl child in our country doesn't have any problems so they didn't use it uh, but all these other places did anyway um This is Yugo Sakosan he said this uh, this is a quote from him I I trained to be a priest and I'm a Zen Buddhist formally but after all these years Hinduism is very familiar to me however to be a Hindu you have to be born in a Hindu family so I don't know whether Hindus would accept me as Hindu or not so I am Buddhist but in my mind I feel I am Hindu I think I would agree with him I definitely felt that he was Yeah this is and this is Ramon like major uh, you know list of awards that he won but the least major ones and uh he was awarded the padma shri in 2014 and uh, just uh, he he actually did continue making films until he was 87 years old wow <laughs> yeah his last film was actually about dada saheb phalke who was the kind of the, like who i mentioned before he was the first indian filmmaker made raja harishchandra so mm-hmm. ramon's last film was a tribute to Har- to dada saheb phalke and so his career started in 1956 it ended in 2017 61 years of doing what he loved so yeah that's it awesome
Awesome, awesome. So first of all, I actually I'm grateful you made this presentation. It was a fantastic presentation and it covered a lot of aspects. Now I have a few questions for oh. I'm gonna take the viewer questions first because mere questions to me kabi bhi pooch sakta Okay. But okay. So 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 someone has asked, did did Karthik know Yugo Sako personally? Can he speak more about him? That is the first question. Oh, I absolutely did. I absolutely knew him. I mean I I mean, uh, since I was 11 years old, I knew him and, uh, you know, knew him as I was growing into adulthood. He used to come quite a bit to India. He used to, he'd been to our house many times. He was, I mean, he was very, you know, pleasant and shant. I mean, I didn't realize later that it was probably because he was a Zen Buddhist. <clears throat> he, I mean, I mean, maybe it's my own cultural bias that connects the two things, but I never saw him get upset. Like he would laugh. And, you know, but not too much. He, he was sort of, he was, he had this equanimity about him, you know, very shant. Um, he enjoyed life. He, he didn't want to be a monastic. Uh, he, he smoked cigarettes all the time, like chain smoked. A lot of people did in those days. Mm. He uh, drank old monk. He, they loved old monk. Those Japan, all the Japanese, you know, they thought this was the best thing. That is such they a desi thing. Old monk back with them to Japan <laughs> when they came. Um, yeah, he was, you know, he was, uh, a very sharp intellect and but he would always think before answering a question you know like he would not he 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 had i guess he had sort of just evolved that art of not responding to things sort of knee jerk he would uh, always absorb something take it in and give a considered response mm, good good so so all right so next question is more technical how do animators ensure that across the gamut of expressions displayed the mm -hmm. character is still clearly recognizable as that character. For example, are lip movements animated differently for each word or are they generic? Okay, so there's two two questions there. So how, so we typically have something called a model sheet. So, um, you know, uh, for each character, they will do a model sheet. So they, they will draw what the character looks like sort of in default pose. And then they will draw the same character in many different poses and different expressions. Mm -hmm. So there's always a guidepost for every animator and usually you know many animators will work on any particular character so they all have to sort of make sure that it's true to the model sheet you know and if they're mm -hmm. getting too far away then the animation director or supervisor will come and say nejara just bring it back down a bit you know so that's how they do that for pose for lip poses uh, that's a more complex thing it's it's um, so there are these uh, for phonemes you know the most the most obvious ones that the lips have to be closed when you say m, p, b, v, you know, the mm -hmm. lips, are, the thing is closed. And usually for the vowels, like A, E, I, O, U, the lips are open and the shapes are very obvious. Mm -hmm. So once you get the m, p, b, v, and you get the vowels in place, that's half the battle one. Then you don't necessarily, it's not like every letter, every word that you speak has a lip pose. Usually, you know, the lips will open and close in a more organic way than that, mm -hmm. you know, because you sort of your mouth is making efforts to speak the whole word, not just every syllable. So yeah, it's it's something you learn over time uh, to do lip sync. Mm -hmm. yeah. All right. So someone has asked this question: Are there any plans of releasing an art or book for this film, like they do for Disney and Pixar? Uh, the person is an aspiring art artist, so they would like to spend a few hours studying the character models and the background. Jeshri Ram. That's the last words to oh, use. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I would ask TM Corporation. I mean, um, I'm a little bit in touch with them. So I'll ask them if they have any plans for that, for sure. Mm -hmm. All right. All right. So uh, 
now this is uh, my question it, this is more about uh, what do you make of the current state of the animation industry in india as of now a good bad mediocre how is it right now oh it's it's a that's a big answer so like well so okay first of all a, a lot of the the money at least in the indian animation film industry is being made by people doing work for outsourced productions right so you know uh, studios in canada and america in in europe like they are the ones who are doing the creative part of the content they are the ones who kind of still they'll do the storyboards and send the storyboards and our guys will just do the series the you know the hard work of doing the of animation week after week and producing certain number of minutes a week and that's good it's fine because that's how you learn the skills but um you know of course there's there's no real creative freedom in that you don't have freedom to interpret you're doing everything exactly as you've been told to do okay you know as i've said animation requires an obsessive level of discipline and you learn that discipline by doing this kind of stuff as far as uh, original content it's it's actually you know it's funny so like around i guess uh, mid 2000 like 2005 2006 suddenly animation had become a buzzword everyone said animation animation right so a lot of like i mean people who had no idea what animation was a lot of mba types and what not they started they came and they said we want to make feature films straight away feature film meaning uh, you know something that runs in the theater for 2 hours every animation mm-hmm. industry has started by doing short films by doing little bits of stuff and like you know building the skill that way like tell a sto- tell a simple story with a few characters why you want to tell a 2 hour story with you know 50 characters but nahi these guys mm-hmm. like see the feature film banai there was actually there was uh, in fact I think Fitchy Frames, which is the government thing, they had published a booklet of 52 feature films which they wanted to release in 2006. I think only two of those eventually got made. Um, so there is some Indian content which you know did did it the right way, like Chota Beam. I mean, you may like it, you may not. I mean, it's fine. I, I, I respect them because at least they are in Indian in, you know, original content. I mean, there are things to criticize, whatever. But at least you know they started that way. They started making TV shows and then they. It's called green gold animation, and they started making features, and they built a market for it. Mm-hmm. But a lot of other people never built a market for it. So, like there was a film called Roadside Romeo. I think it was uh, Yash Chopra's production, Aditya Chopra, and uh, he, it had two very good animators as the directors, uh, Suhail Merchant and Shirang Satay, were the animation directors. But on top of them, they had kept Jugal Ansaraj as the overall director. Jugal Ansaraj is that Bollywood actor. I'm not sure if he. I don't think he had Jugal Ansaraj wo ana wo ghar se nikalte hi kuch dur chalte hi wo wala gana uska tha Ha 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 I don't I mean itna dekhta nahi magar ye gana acha tha karke mujhe yaad hai Jugal Ansaraj wo child artist ana jo masoom Ha child artist yes yes So I I think because he was a child artist you know these like you know they thought are animation age get to that's why that's enough you know experience to direct an animation feature film which he had never directed animation before and and I'm afraid it shows you know I mean you can see that the technical animation is done well like there are sequences of that film which are done very well it's called roadside romeo but it didn't do well at all in the theaters because the entire story arc was not very well managed and uh, you know they had in fact saif ali khan was one of the voice actors and all and they you know they were trying to sell it based on saif ali khan as me which is not a good reason to go see an animation film because you never see his face in fact people will spend you know whatever it is 200 bucks on a ticket and say saif kahan pe hai i mean he's not he's not there only in the movie <laughs> you know so it didn't do well it wasn't marketed as animation and there was i mean you know all credit to shirang and sohel they did a fantastic job of the animation direction but and of course you know these things tend to run over budget like in, in, there were there was a time where you know, a lot of people were going to these animation schools like you know and learning computer animation and they were coming out and the ones who were good they would literally do stuff like 
they would work in one studio for like uh, 3 weeks then they would get a letter from another studio hiring letter and they would come and show it to the boss here like i wanted an increase in salary <laughs> like that was going on a lot it was it was a very chaotic industry in some ways back in the 2000s now it's kind of settled so there are studios that are doing outsourced work there are studios that are doing content and i would say the best work the best work in india is being done by guys who again many of them worked with ramon uh but they were in places like nid national institute of design there were people from there so i would say the names to watch out for are uttam pal singh chetan sharma he's done fantastic work he's done this piece called uh, about ayappa he's made a feature film called he's got a studio called animagic and he's made a film about ayappan you know which is really good um vaibhav kumaresh mm-hmm. uh suresh ariyat i would say is really another one is fantastic uh shilpa ranade has made a film based on a bengali short story it's really good um geetanjali rao i'm sure i'm going to forget some and i'm going to feel really bad because i didn't say that i'll remember after the podcast is finished but at least these you know go and check their stuff out it's great and and let's say if a young kid wants to get into this industry so uh, like i know there are institutes but if they want to read up like say history and and you know do a nerdy deep dive are there books that are written on this or stuff like that or or it's not something that has uh, been mm-hmm. covered in i'm not just talking about like the the viewer had asked a very specific question i'm asking a more historical question like the mm-hmm. history of anime or history of animation in general have people written books on it which um, of animation in general certainly so there's a book called the illusion of life um mm-hmm. uh, it's written by some you know some of the who i called the nine old men of disney studios Mm-hmm. I mean they are actually featured in it the ones who are sort of the rishis who kind of evolved the rules of animation mm-hmm. so there's a lot about them and the classical age I would definitely recommend the illusion of life mm-hmm. uh there is for people who want to get into it a little bit there's an, the best book in on how to do it there's two of them one is called how to animate film cartoons by Preston Blair who was a Disney animator the second is well, I think that might be out of print but the second one is definitely available it's by Richard Williams a British animator it's called the animator survival kit i would say that's a must read for people who want to even consider doing this kind of work mm-hmm. the animator survival kit as far as the history of an, um, anime is kind of hard to find honestly i mean i'm sure there's there's books in japanese for it and there are some i mean i can you know, look around for it i it never occurred to me to look them up because i'd sort of seen the whole thing first hand but you know mm. uh, i'm sure there are books on history of anime So someone has asked uh, a very specific question are there mm-hmm. plans to continue the work on the story of Krishna which uh, Sakusan began before his passing away You know it wasn't very clear uh, who he had been speaking to I think some of the Iskon people went ahead and made uh, an animation on Krishna by themselves with someone else so I think um, I I don't think that there was a plan really that he was able to get that off the ground before he passed away unfortunately Mhm but 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 in your personal opinion uh, do you see this to be a completely untapped market especially in this uh, capacity um uh, like the ramayana is a proof of concept if you ask me india mm-hmm. is a treasure trove of stories i i mean imagine betal pachisi just as an example betal pachisi and individual stories from the amar chitra katha and mm-hmm. and and many others that exist and i mean this is like of course it is treasure trove and my question is like uh, see look i'm not in touch with this industry you were the first man uh, or second 
my first was uh, bhim sen ji uh, and to be very honest like main unko life mein ek ya do bar mila mummy ke sath jab gaya tha that's all because rishtedari thi baki mujhe kuch pata nahi tha my first real introduction to anime was when i came to your house and we were eating dosa mm. and you were explaining the whole thing to me that's right. about it i i'm oh, i'm completely honest but when i hear about something like this i see as a as a person as an indian i see potential like i read indian culture and history hmm. so i'm like why aren't we not doing it like hum kyon nahi kar rahe because because we haven't gone about it in an organized enough way and we haven't you know taken the skill development seriously enough to build teams of people who can produce this and who are dedicated enough to do it you know it's such hard work kushal i mean my you know for me it is but for my father it wasn't it, this is the thing about him like he would be drawing all the time he would be drawing all the time like at home speaking on the phone he'd be drawing on a pad like uh, watching tv he'd be drawing on a pad if i went to him like when i was a little kid i would say tell me a story he would tell me a story be happy to do it but he would draw the story for me as he was telling me it would just come out of him because you can't stop it you know it's like it's it's the most natural form of expression to you is to draw like that's those are the kinds of people who make the best animators and that's not easy to find i mean that that sort of natural that you know it's just that that is the most natural form of expression to you um we we need like you know people like that at least at the directorial level and the sense of you know commitment and i don't know it's it's like there's not enough money in it you know that's a big thing there's um how studios can, that just are, just look here how can there be no money disney is a proof of concept disney disney did it right no over there in in india in india everyone wants the quick buck yeah you know people invest like they'll say kitna milega i mean how soon can you turn this around so, i want so a what if an indian billionaire got interested in it gosh yes then it is doable it'd be amazing yeah and who who should know that it's it's a long process baba i mean like you know you're planting a forest you know you have to plant the seeds and you have to take care of them year after year after year and finally you'll be impressed with what you get but it's not going to be yeah this is the thing animation is not for people who want quick results in anything you know it's not and it's just not something that shows up on the balance sheets are kya you know we made this chatak hit film if you want to make a chatak hit film and make crows and crows you go and make a film with uh, you know whoever yeah um, you know hrithik roshan and what not that's a much easier way to make money like soon you know so but do you think any any fundamental societal issues exist for us there we are just not able to breed talent that because no, i mean no. i'll tell you how because every time on my podcast when i do these streams i do them live because i love looking at what the audience is also saying i don't mm-hmm. read comments later on but i love reading the live streams and the mm-hmm. one ka, you know i have a lot of these young kids who are like kushal bhaiya tum anime nahi karte maine bola to theek hai abhi maine ye bhi kar liya abhi but mm-hmm. the point is that uh, it's quite clear a lot of these young kids are into anime big time in india but it is yeah. all outsourced outsourced anime matlab right. home grown to kuch hai nahi idhar yeah it's it's because i mean the money has not gone into the right hands and you know the right people haven't been trusted with it again i keep coming back to the few people that i mentioned like uh, you know chetan and vaibhav and all they are you know, they are making films that are very very good very good you know and they're making them but they're making them on their own in animation we have this thing called the production triangle like so if you think about a triangle there are three corners one is the price one is the speed of making it and the third is the quality so if you have you know 
if you have low budget that means it's going to take a long time to make something of the good quality mm. you know if you if you do, if you if you just have like you know if you have a lot of money you can make something very good and very fast if you don't have money you can make something that's fast but it won't be very good or you can make something that's good but it'll take a long time so that's the production triangle and unfortunately everyone is kind of you know beholden to that in animation of all sorts so you know uh, these folks like uh, chetan and all um, like vaibhav and all these folks they are making these films very slowly very slowly it'll take them years like you know i think uh, shilpa ranade's film took 10 years gayatri rao's film took like 15 years to make because it's just her and a small group of artists who she trusts who have those skill levels you know and they're making them one frame at a time one second at a time it's just you know and and building up to the product which they they absolutely haven't you know they haven't made any compromises on the quality whereas so, a lot of the stuff that's done for outsourced is like are theek hai chalega i mean like we have to get it done in time you know one scene doesn't look perfectly well i just send it hopefully they won't notice and they keep coming back to us you know okay so two more questions before i wrap mm-hmm. up point number one is what is and i i come from a completely ignorant background so try and understand what mm-hmm. is the difference between a cartoonist and an animated person let's say uh-huh. you know how raj thakre for example mm. is a great cartoonist yeah so why doesn't yeah. raj promote this oh it's a different skill set yeah because like a, a cartoon is typically but raj is a about... film buff right i, I don't mm. know if you know that raj watches a film every day almost raj yeah. thakre is a huge film buff he is a well, film he... critic as it i mean he knew ram mohan actually <laughs> So I mean, like they had made. I mean, someone needs to tell Raj, so, yar, ki yar, uh, isko revive karo India me, yar. He, and you know, the Thakres might be many things, but the Thakres uh, have an appreciation for art. Sure. Yeah, Bala Sahib Thakre also was a very, it was a good. Was, yeah, you know, that's exactly what I'm saying. Like, how can artist. Mumbai not do it when Bala Sahib Thakre and Raj both? I mean, yeah. they are great artists in their own way, right? Yeah. See, my 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 dad always said there are people who talk and there are people who do. Yeah, I mean, I'm not talking about Raj Thakre specifically, but I'm talking about Bollywood in general. There are a lot of people who say, "Ha, karenge kyun nahi?" I mean, this hoga, we'll do this, we'll set it up, and then nothing happens. This has happened, you know. I think every year it used to happen twenty times in my dad's life. You know, mm-hmm. like somebody would come, "Hey, yeah, this will happen, this and that." You know, you talk to, you know, you 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 spoke to Vivek Agnihotri ji. You know, he must have given you a very good idea what Bollywood is like. It's like. it's all dikhawat yaar i mean like you know you, if you don't have money that's when you'll put on your nicest suit and you'll rent the fancy mercedes and you'll go somewhere because you have to give that impression of who you are you know mm. and animation is the exact opposite of that you have to toil away in obscurity like working 20 hours a day doing this then nobody knows your name at the end of it mm. <laughs> that's what it is so it's not very attractive to the star power of it but yeah i mean there's no reason why we could not i mean we have a tradition going back to 1911 with dada saheb phalke of doing animation in india why can't we do it i i completely agree with you i mean it's just that people have to realize that it's not you know the way that i think like this government now has realized that everything is not going to happen immediately it's kind of got you people used to the idea that everything is not a quick buck that sacrifices first have to be made i hope that that is kind of going into the wider culture and people understand this that we have to invest in something and then you know lagatar we have to work at it without expecting returns and finally the returns will come hmm. you know yeah i i think that uh, to me that i guess is the crux because when we started this podcast and one of your first few slides showed the value of patience that is needed in 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 animation 
and when you're drawing. But my last question to you, and before we wrap it up, is mm-hmm. what will be the impact of artificial intelligence in this field? It's very hard to say. It's very hard to say. Um, artificial intelligence is already being used in some ways to um, to come up with concept ideas. You know, there's this thing called Mid Journey. There's a site called Mid Journey. So people go to Mid Journey and they'll put in something like, you know, a palace or a temple in a volcano or something like that. They'll put in these keywords and it comes up with an image. So it's people are using that for inspiration, like, you know, what kind of shapes, forms, colors to use. It's it's actually quite wild. You should, I mean, everyone should try Mid Journey at some point, you know. Uh, and so in that sense, it'll be useful. In terms of, you know, it's we're not yet there, but in terms of neuro-linguistic programming, maybe AI will be able to handle a lot of that because, you know, things like the gestures people do or, you know, when people lie, they blink a lot or, you know, things like that. It, it, it might be able to enhance, you know, animation. So I might be able to do the basic animation in a, in a CGI sort of setup and mid-journey or some, or, you know, some AI program might be able to take it up a few notches. But it always requires the firm sure hand of an animator to make sure that it's not doing whatever it wants because every frame every split second of everything you see is registering on the mind whether you know it or not when you watch an animation film you know and so the control has to be sort of exquisite okay uh, someone has asked this this will be literally the last question how much will procedural generation help enhance animation i i well, don't know what it means so i'm just asking this question so procedural generation, I mean, it is used. So um, it's sort of, so how to explain it here? So it's when you use uh, random mathematical functions in, in, I mean, this is how I understand it, in, in uh, computer animation anyway, to create something that has the illusion of randomness. Now, see, supposing you are animating a C, okay? The C, the waves are coming in, breaking, then another wave is coming in, breaking, right? Imagine doing that by hand, right? You have to think about where every drop of water will go, and you have to do it again for the next wave. You have to do it again for the next wave. And you have to show like where, where are they all going in space? How fast are they flying? You'll go mad to do it by hand, you know. But you can program, I mean, you can use in, in computer software, you can program it to have a certain fractal mathematical expression that every time a wave comes in, it disperses in a certain way. Like here's where the rock is, here's the mass of the wave, here's the speed of the wave, it connects it, so much foam comes out. And you can make that happen. So for things like um, for things like representing natural phenomena like clouds or uh, fire or you know water or you know gases stuff like that we are already using quite a bit of uh, procedural uh, animation fair enough all right Karthik before we wrap things up any last message you have for the viewers listeners who are going to be watching this and and what I'll do is Karthik uh, uh, I'll also convert this into an audio. I know it will be hard, but what I'll hmm. do is if, if you can send me the file, I'll attach a PDF version of the presentation in the description of the podcast so that even if people are listening to the audio file, they can okay. look at, download it so that, you know, because a lot of people prefer audio. I don't know why. So they do. It. Right, right. But before we wrap it up, any any last message you have? Uh, um, for... Nothing. I mean, you know, if, if you're interested in animation, you know, just know that it's it's a very hard journey it's uh, but you know it may be the most satisfying thing you ever do because it, it certainly was that for Ramon he could not have done anything else in his life but that you know and he found it and that's what stuck with him and he was able to give it everything that it required of him and 
don't you know don't go into animation because i mean i heard that some people do it because they didn't get into engineering or medicine they think it's going to be an easy field it's not it's a very difficult thing and uh, but if you do want to do it you know there's definitely you know it's one of the most rewarding fields of work you can possibly be in because you are literally creating the illusion of life and you can probably do more for india's soft power than all of bollywood combined you know if you're worried about those sorts of things and preserve you know ways of telling stories it's the most effective way of telling stories i would say of all is animation so um um yeah that's about it uh, jai shri ram thank thanks karthik this has been a wonderful uh, uh, you know learning experience for me it's funny i know you for a while but i never knew animation i mean hum <laughs> we are busy talking about things that i am interested in more than what you are interested in so so it is what it is but uh, uh this has been a great presentation i'm i'm truly grateful to you and thanks for coming on the podcast and talking about this and uh, uh hopefully you know uh, some young kid watches this podcast uh, and uh, takes up uh, the work that uh, uh, your father uh, started and maybe uh, i i'm an eternal optimist so i always mm-hmm. look at uh, i'm a glass half full kind of a guy not a glass half empty kind of a guy so i'm pretty sure somebody some young kid will watch this and look at this presentation and they'll be like you know what i'm going to take this thing forward i'm going to be the next uh, person who takes uh, and uh, you know your father's legacy might be taken forward or bhimsen ji's legacy for that matter mm-hmm. be taken forward you know he did a lot of good things yeah to... it is actually i mean so i should mention kirit kirit khurana sir uh, he's a bhimsen ji's son he's mm-hmm. he's a he's you know eminent animator in i India. know yeah yeah, yeah I, he's doing it and many people forget wo wo jo ek gilehri anilik gilehri hmm? yeah that was bhimsen ji's film yeah bhimsen ji ki film thi and most of us kids growing up in the 80s have watched it and many people yeah. uh, don't realize that but guys uh, i hope you guys uh, enjoyed this look you can uh, the one thing i cannot be accused of is not touching upon different topics so i hope i have touched upon a different topic and one thing i you know when i went on the website of uh, the film production itself ramayana.anime i think it was the website uh-huh. and i've kept the website in the description of the podcast too they are looking for screen screening opportunities across the globe yeah. now the least the hindu community i say the hindu community can do if you are in north america and you're watching this guys can you organize a screening of this movie for for your children in your area like in toronto in new york and and i'm sure they would work with you and they will arrange a screening so my request to everyone whether it's you know the hindu american foundation it's the coalition of hindus of north america there are millions of other hindu organizations i know a lot of british uh, hindus watch this podcast yaar promote this kind of stuff uh, uh, i agree with karthik i think uh, animation has a lot of power and this movie is wonderful trust me as people who have seen this movie i have seen this movie as a child growing up it is an amazing movie and i did not know it was karthik's father so when karthik told me are ye to picture maine kitni baar dekhi hai kind of experience tha mere liye and i did not know so you know to people who are watching this who are involved in organizations my request to all of you is arrange screenings of this movie in cinemas because uh, the cinematic experience is quite a thing so i would encourage you guys to do that and i'll wrap today's podcast up on this note and uh, please support the charvak podcast subscribe to the channel like this video leave your comments over there 
you know you can become a member on youtube patreon buy the merch whatever uh, you need and if you are on spotify and itunes you can leave a review over there too i'll see you guys again tomorrow with another discussion until then namaste take care jai shri ram